0: Hey there, pastor, clergy, or community leader. Yeah, you. You know who I'm talking to. Is your community feeling scattered? Are you feeling worn out and frayed? Are you wondering what church looks like in 2021 or beyond? Guess what? Faith Street is here to help. Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings congregations together. It strengthens people's commitment to the church and each other. It builds community by promoting prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship, and teaching as daily practices. If you're interested, you can go to faithstreet.com backslash snarky because Snarky Faith listeners can get 20% off. That's faithstreet, F-A-I-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T dot com backslash snarky. You're listening to WCOMLP 103.5 FM, Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Face with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is
1: a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves,
0: and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney, and Snarky Faith is radio for the spiritually disenfranchised. If you've had enough, of the insanity in Christianity, you've come to the right place. Here at Snarky Faith, we're all about finding a sane faith, grounded in reality, working to make the world a better place in tangible ways. This is not a zone for spiritual escapism, Sunday school answers, or Christianese. We're here to call out religious BS and look for better ways forward. If you can handle your conversations about faith with copious amounts of
1: sarcasm,
0: and also a little bit of this, then you've come to the right place. Welcome home. On today's show, we're going to be talking about hierarchy with one of my good friends, Joel Varner. It's an action-packed show, so buckle up. We've got a lot going on today. But before we descend into the snark, just a reminder that this broadcast and all past podcasts can be found at www.snarkyfaith.com or wherever else you listen to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, YouTube. We're here. We're there. We're everywhere. Just look for Snarky Faith. If you like the show, make sure to share, subscribe. And if you're feeling particularly generous, drop a review on Apple Podcasts, too. It helps get the word out to new listeners. If you want to interact more with the show, you can find Snarky Faith on Facebook. You can drop me a line at questions at snarkyfaith.com. And there's even a snarky hotline if you want to leave a message. And that number is 919-525-1570. That's 919-525-1570. So without further ado, let's go ahead and hop into my conversation with Joel Varner. I know. Action-packed. We're hopping in already, so you're going to enjoy it. Here we go. Today joining us is Joel Varner. Joel is one of the directors from Forge Albany in Albany, Oregon. Joel also is one of the human beings that I could say probably had a role in saving my life, uh, at least one time or, or the other. And so it is with great pleasure I have you, my friend, on this show. And I'm not sure why this hasn't happened earlier, but welcome, Joel.
1: Thanks, Stuart. Thanks for having me on.
0: Oh, now, 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 with, with that kind of a beginning, I, I will have to give context. Joel and I first met in prison, mm-hmm. yes, and or, or the uh or the church, uh, which, whichever way you want to put that, um, but well, both were youth pastors on staff of a large church that was incredibly fun and dysfunctional, and uh, he was kind of like the guy that kind of had my back in the prison shower, um, and by that I meant you scrubbed it but also made sure other people stayed away because you were territorial. So, uh, But no, no, I'm seriously, Joel. I feel like that time of my life was, I had probably as good of a chance of anyone of going insane when I think we, when, when we were working in that place. And I don't think I would have lived, survived, if it hadn't been for you, brother.
1: We all did. We were all processing new ways of thinking about what is church, what is ministry, and just kind of holding on to each other as we we're processing this together. And um, that was a really pivotal time in our lives just to kind of go like what is our role what is, how are we supposed to do this and and um yeah to be able to support each other in that process while we were sometimes often getting our teeth kicked in was was helpful <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the nicest way of putting it
1: yes i know this and this and for this is for anyone
0: for context this is like back i'm saying like uh tooth like early mid-2000s back when we were probably in 20s uh many many moons ago but, um, but Joel, yes, yes, and, and I also want to tell you this. I've told this story on the show many times, and you also were a person I remember there's one story that you that used to tell, and it it was it was formative for me and really transforming the way I pray and I've told this 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 before, but I don't know if I've ever attributed it directly to you. I've said like a friend of mine would do this, but I remember you were telling me this was back in your camp days um and I remember you just describing it in in the beautiful, honest way that you do uh talking about a time where you were spiritually dry and you were with a bunch of other counselors and they're, they're like, Oh, we're, you know, it was a hard time in the summer. We're all coming together and praying, trying to be honest with what's going on. And I think you opened like the group prayer with other counselors that God, I'd feel just like a sack of shit. And, and and for me, uh, just to tell you that that was like so formative because it, it kind of unleashed this honesty, um, because I've told, I've even told, I've told, I've told the, the very inversion of that, even to kids I was, I was, uh, I was like a youth pastor over. because, I mean, that was formative for me to realize, well, wait, hold a second. If I'm thinking it and God knows it, what does it matter anyways? What am I hiding this from? And, and I think that God would really rather have honesty than have BS. Um, so you are a person who I've, I've, I've always valued your opinion very highly and, which is why I want you to be on the show today. We're going to be talking about leadership. And and so as we hop in, Joel, tell me a little about uh, Forge, because a lot of people may not know about Forge, um, the ministry itself. So go ahead and give us a little dive into it.
1: Yeah, so the ministry itself um, really started with Alan Hirsch and Michael Frost. (coughs) Excuse me. And uh, in Australia, they really got together and they're processing um, what is the future of the church um, and how do we kind of reclaim forgotten ways uh, of of the church. So as they are processing what does it look like for churches and new expressions of the church to be um, incarnational and missional, um, they started writing all the books, but then starting these hubs, and then the hubs came over to America, and then they just kind of took off kind of a grassroots movement as far as people going like, yeah, we we want to help implement and share these ideas as well in our local communities of what it looks like to practice incarnational missional church. And so so with Forge uh, Albany, we're just one of many hubs all across uh, the country that basically we work with churches in our communities to help them train women and men to live as missionaries where they're already doing life, where they already live, work, and play. And so um, that's that's really uh, been the heartbeat of not only what I've been trying to live personally as well, but then wanting to say, okay, then how do we help um, train and equip other believers to do the same?
0: And and before, before we started recording, we were talking a bunch about how— over the past year, year and a half, with pandemic, has really changed the way a lot of people are looking at church. It's changed the way church is looking at itself too. Uh, it's it's gone through yeah. a lot of, of fundamental change, and and I know from and I actually mentioned this it was funny. I mentioned this, I believe it was in last week's episode because someone was like, "That was a great idea." They messaged me, and I was like, "It wasn't mine. I stole it from I stole it from Michael Frost." Uh, but was talking about the idea of of the church's role um, to kind of. The, the early church was what really grew and had its strength when it was in the shadow of the empire.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, you know, when the church was not in the center of control, when the church was not in the center of, of politics and power and nationalism, whatever, you know, all that stuff. When the church wasn't like suckling on those teats, um, the church seemed to be more connected with the margins. It seemed to be more connected with mission and people and doing really just the raw work of Christ. Um, and I know a lot of what you are trying to do here is begin to change the way people look at the role of, of Christians, like what our role is, and also what is the role of the church. So, mm-hmm. so talk a little about that, about how you're working to reframe, especially you're trying to work within churches to help reframe them reframe the way they view what their mission is.
1: Yeah, so there's a lot of, of paradigms that need to kind of be shifted if we're going to think about, okay, what does it mean to be a missionary where I live, work, and play. I mean, the implications are, well, then what is the church? Um, implication, implication is then what leadership structures need to be uh, put into place, and then how do we actually do it? Um, so, I mean, the big one, I think, for for us to uh, want to reframe, like, what is the church? Um, for a long time, a church is a place that you go. A uh, church is an event um, church is something for Christians, and um, really, that's not the picture that we get for uh, in the New Testament for the church at all. Really, the church they say over and over again is it is the Christians. The church is the body of believers. So the church is the believers. They have they are the body of Christ. And then, so church can't be a thing that you go to because you 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 have to be the church. Church isn't a, 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 an entity that you can kind of, an event that you can just kind of come to. Um, it's a movement of people. And so when you have to ask yourselves, then, okay, if we, if we are then the body of Christ, what did Jesus's actual body do when he was here on earth? We should be doing the same thing. Mm. And so the church is really not for the believer. It's for the world. Um, that's where, where Christ offered his body for the world. And and gave it gave it to the world as a sacrifice to, to reconcile the world and God back together again. And the church now as the body of Christ gets to continue to live out that mission of all right, how do we as ambassadors that God makes his appeal to the world through his body? And how do we do that and act and in and, and demonstrating that and, and proclaim that in word and deed? Hmm.
0: Now, now you come, you have an interesting perspective and in, and a lot of your, I feel like you're in my trajectories have, have been parallel, uh, many ways in ministry of, of kind of being in and out, um, of a role with the church, but still not quitting it. Somehow we're like, Jesus, we just can't quit you. Uh, yeah. but you know, but the church at uh, many times has been like, ah, I can quit you. Um, you know, but what led you in in your own role to be able to move? Because again, yes. I think that Joel was saying, you were saying like, you were saying a very diplomatic way of saying that we were pains in the butt when we were working on staff at a church because we kept trying to do the work of Jesus and, um, and, um, yeah. And people don't like it always in churches when you do the work of Jesus, which is really funny. But what for you, yeah, for you, what, talk a little about your journey. What led you to this place where you're saying like, "I, I, I love, I love the gospel. I love what Christ did so much. I love it so much. I have to walk away from the church in order to do the work of God.
1: Yeah, I mean, it really came down to um, in all the church ministries that I was at um, and I sold out into this program of come and see church, attractional church. I mean, so I'm able to do it really, really well. Um, But I always found that no matter how well we put on a show, no matter how slick the facility was, no matter how cool of a program we could run, um, we could attract some students and some adults to some sort of centralized thing, but there are really always going to be folks who are never going to darken the door of the church ever, 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 ever. And no matter how attractive you make the church, it's just not going to happen. And so I, my heart was burdened for those folks. Like, what about them? Are they just, are they just forsaken and left out of the equation? What, what do we do? And so it really started shifting for me when, when we're like, okay, I can't, I can't bring these people to church. And then guys like Hugh Halter and Michael Frost, Alan Hirsch were just like, well, what if we stop trying to ask the people to come to church and we go bring the church to people, we go be the church to people. And that shift in me was like, oh, yeah, that's right, because that's also how Jesus did ministry. That's how the disciples did ministry. That's how all international missionaries do ministry Um, when you're an international missionary, you don't uh, go to a country and then expect to fly all the people back from that country to your home church. No, Mm -hmm. you, you can't bring church to, you can't bring the people to the church that you are, and you have to go and be the church in that context and in that place. So then it's like, why aren't we doing that in our own places, our own communities? Why, Why are, why are we purposely creating barriers for um, people coming to get experience the good news of the kingdom. So that was really a big shift. It was like, okay, I, are there people in my neighborhood who would never darken the doors of the church? Yes. So Okay, so how am I being the church with them
0: now? And and I think it's also important to note that you're not trying to do work because I've I've been part of evangelistic organizations that that do work outside the church, but they end up kind of operating in a model of like a bait-and-switch model. Um, you know what I mean? Like we're going to do something, uh, that you're going to come to we or offer you this something, but we're really kind of just, you know, we're not really here for you. We're here to convert you. We're here to do this. But I feel like the, the, the work that you, I know that I've heard that you're doing, especially some of the work I've even seen that's been done through Forge. It's, this is not about that kind of a model. This is about doing life with others. This is about knowing people. This isn't about simply just trying to convert them, check a box and get them to come to a building. This is about living well with others.
1: Yeah, it, it literally is again. Um, just being the church in in a in a place with a people in a community. Um, you know, it's funny. I, I talk to people all the time, and I sit and they ask, "Okay, hey, what does it mean to be a community missionary?" I was like, "Well, okay, so imagine you're a missionary and you go off to another country. Um, what would you do?" And we do this little exercise all the time where they're like, "Oh, well, you know, I would get to know the people that I'm going to." be with. I'm going to learn their language. I'm going to learn their customs. I'm going to dress similarly. I'm going to basically kind of become like the people that I would want to be with. And so, um, and then I was like, well, then what'd you do next? Well, you'd build relationships uh, uh, and you'd start bridging, bridging uh, relationship gaps and you start, you know, creating community and relationship um, amongst the people that you are uh, with. And then you start meeting needs. You if some, Maybe there's a physical need or they need some school or medical or, or whatever that is. Like, what are the needs that are, how can I make this place better than w- when I found it? And then um, it, trying to share the good news when they ask in very, very culturally appropriate ways that, they, that would be understandable there. So almost every single person I know when I say that's what it looks like to be a missionary in another country, they get that. And then say, okay, now do that, but in your own neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, that becomes a disconnect. Like, well, we, how do we do that? How We can't do that. It's like, it's well, it's the same principle. You start walking with your neighbors. You start getting to know them. You start incarnating with them. You get to know their name. You start praying for them. Um, Silently, not like praying over them in a weird way that freaks them out, but you start like getting to know who they are and what do they like? What do they not like? What are their rhythms? What what do they celebrate? How can I celebrate that with them? And then you start building those relationships and bringing community together with lots of different um, people who are very, very diverse and different. And and then you start meeting needs of each other and you start serving like, okay, who needs some help and how can we help each other? And then if the question is asked, like, what, what's going on? Why, you know, why, why is this happening or what, what's making this different, uh, a different place than I've experienced anywhere else? You start being able to share the good news in ways that they would be understandable. All of that's life on life. That's doing life with our folks. And some of them may or may not go to a church worship service. Um, Some do um, some don't, but that's not the goal. The goal is still how am I making my neighborhood a little bit more like heaven? And if I can do that, then that's then that's a goal that I'm, I'm meeting.
0: So, so give me give me give me a snapshot, a picture, because I, I, I and we've talked too. But like I, I know you do a lot of work with your literal neighbors in your literal community, like right around your house and stuff. So yeah. Give, give, so what are some stuff that you guys do?
1: Yeah. So I mean, right right off the bat, um, when we we first just started, we realized that we were completely isolated from our neighbors. Um, we had absolutely um, had the mentality of my my fortress of solitude that my, my house was, was my, 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 my solitude away from my neighbors um, because I was so busy and other ministry stuff. There's, I had nothing left to give to, to my neighbors. So, so really when my heart started to shift and, and, uh, Oh, I need to actually care about my neighbors. Um, it was just prayer walking. And again, not like in a weird way where I'm like standing in their front yard praying over. I'm just silently praying and walking. And then as I would get to know some of them, um, they would come out of their house and I'd introduce myself and get, and just get to know their names. And, And then pretty soon it was, we started having the people over for dinner. And then, and then pretty soon we realized that they all wanted to kind of get together. The whole neighborhood wanted to get together. And so, um, we started throwing block parties. And then once we, we throw these like regular block parties, um, about once a month, uh, we would just kind of get to know each other and try to build community and safety and relationship with one another. And then at those block parties, needs would arise. People would say like, hey, my car broke down or um, I need help moving or um, I need food for the week. And um, and then so neighbors would start like figuring out ways to like serve each other and share. And we'd put on like regular times of like serving one another in the neighborhood. Um, and then, and then, eventually, um, some spiritual conversations started happening, and people started ask, having some spiritual conversations. Some tragedies would happen, and they'd ask us to pray. And so then we just started going, "Hey, we're having a lot of really fruitful spiritual conversations with one another. What would it look like to have these together?" And then, it's about twice a week um, we try to get together, have a little dinner together, read a little scripture, and and just talk about it, and then pray for one another. And so. So those are kind of the regular rhythms we, we try to do as a community of just how are we building community and relationship with one another through feasting and partying? How are we serving one another as servants? And then what is, how are we sharing good news with one another? How are we lifting each other up in prayer?
0: No, I, I love how you also mentioned that because I think, I think that is so true um, when you mentioned the, the fortress of solitude idea um, about your house. Because, yes, I think, I think that most people that are in professional ministry, they're like, I've already done my ministry. Right. I, 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 went, I did the show. I went and showed up. We did the show, the fog machines and all that crap. Yeah, we did it. God wants me to not engage with my neighbors so I can be quiet. You know, and so I, but I, and I feel like that that is that is the pull. And I've I've talked to lots and lots of pastors that won't ever admit this out in the open, but they're burned out and tired from like somehow feeding the machine or feeding the programming that doesn't really do the work that you're even talking about. It doesn't right. do the, the work in 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 amidst and around people like that. It doesn't do that. The church isn't doing that now. The church is more like you had said earlier: just come come to us, we'll put on a good show, and give us money, and uh, hopefully we'll fix your spiritual life, and etc.
1: Yeah, it, there's been this huge divide, this uh, clergy laity divide of like we'll hire the the clergy, the pastors to do the work of the ministry. All the church members have to do is kind of, like you said, bait and switch. Invite your neighbors to the show or the program, or whatever, and then the church program or Sunday morning service will be the how we convert them and disciple them. Um, instead of saying like, oh, actually, maybe maybe we would believe the Bible and Scripture, and that we believe in the priesthood of all believers, that everyone is responsible. For going and making disciples. And so if we're all responsible for going and making disciples, then that's that's something we all have to participate in. That's something we all have we all have to do. Um, And if we did that, I really, really truly believe that it wouldn't be up to just one person or a small group of clergy or pastors to try to hold the whole thing together. It would be everyone really saying, like, oh, the responsibility of going and making disciples, of going to be the church. Is on all of us. It's on. It's on you, me, and everyone. Um, and the pastor, that leader, is just one of many encouraging us and equipping us to do that. But it, the responsibility shouldn't all fall on one person or one staff member.
0: I remember I was um, I was I sitting before a search committee, and it was they were looking just for an interim pastor. This is kind of in my area a while back, and they they were kind of flirting with me a little bit, and I had several meetings with the people, and I. I have the no, I have the way of just kind of being very honest with him, which probably should have been more repulsive than it should have been. But I think everyone else had probably kissed their butt so much they were kind of like, "What's going on with this guy? This is interesting. He doesn't mm-hmm. want us as much as we, you know." And so,
1: which kind of becomes super attractive, it, right? In yeah. a weird yeah. way, it is. It, it, so uh-huh. m- remember
0: this, guys. No, um, no, no. Um, but the, they had this question, and I asked them, "I was like, so how do you think the church is going to grow?" And they said, "Well, the hope is that you're a good speaker, and you're preaching." we'll grow this church, and I told them, I was like, oh, no, this church is never going to grow, which is not also what they want to hear, because I was like, no, that's, what, that's, it's ridiculous, like, to to somehow think, I mean, I could understand back in, like, the 1700s, where there's nothing else to do, and they're like, what a, we can either, like, play with tumbleweed, or at least go to the one building in town where everyone else is hanging out, oh, let's go listen to the pastor talk, you know, that made sense back then, That, that kind of, life was different, but now, it's not like that, and and as we kind of descend into some of this leadership conversation too, because I think this is also key to reframing the church is what you've been getting at is that this is about the priesthood of all believers. But one thing I think the church is, is addicted to right now is money. Yeah. And, and the one thing that I know you had to do to be able to f- leave the church, to follow your calling, to walk out the ways of, of Christ is, is you had to learn how to become what we say in uh Christian circles, a tent maker, or a because you, or you I think because you are support based missionary so you raise funds and you have a side jo- hustle too don't you? Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a secondary job, yeah. Yes, yes,
0: a secondary job to pay the bills too. So you do extra work in order to be able to show up and be a missionary. Right. So yeah. you're so you're not having to tell these people in your neighborhood, well, I will continue to play this role in here. I will even walk by and bless your houses as long as you pay money, pay tribute to me as uh, the, the neighborhood Pope, which, right. which I think could be beautiful for you, Joel. I, I could see you in a big hat. Neighborhood Pope. Yeah. With a little
1: Clark car. Yeah. That'd be nice.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, but um, no, but, but I think, I think that is a huge thing. And I will say as a person, yes, who has a radio show that tends to piss off a lot of people in the church at times, but also has pastors write me a lot of times and being like, I really appreciate you said that. And I know I can't say this in front of anybody else. So I like, and I end up hearing these like secret conversations But the things that keep a lot of these people where where they are, even though they want to leave, even though a lot of pastors want to leave to go do other work, is is that tie to money. How could I leave this? How could I leave my lifestyle? How could I step out of this?
1: And yeah, yeah, the structures we have right now, um, unfortunately, lend itself to, you know, um, when you only have a, a few select people that are being paid full-time salaries and um, buildings that, you know, you get out to pay the mortgage on or you're leasing Um, all of that takes an incredible amount of money. And because it takes so much money, you're tied to making sure that you're, you're, you can make as much money as possible. And that clearly comes with church attendance and church membership. Mm -hmm. And so it often you, when you start saying like, Hey, maybe we should release people into the community that we actually would want to um, be empowering and releasing the priesthood of all believers into the community. There's a, there's, there's a lot of fear and trepidation because it's like, well, what, what if I lose attendance and what if I, then we can't pay our bills and I, I lose my job. And it's like, yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a reality. That is an absolute reality. So how do we detach those separate those two out so you can live out your calling as what it means to actually be a, a leader in in a in a christ movement um and and be freed up to do that rather than having your paycheck tied to um, attendance in a in a church building um, so there is you have to be creative in that you really do um, that's one thing that we had to do personally was become bivocational and it just means getting a job uh, out in the marketplace and um, which is actually really really good too as well because not only um does that help uh free up? Um, you know, I don't my ministry isn't tied necessarily to to attenders or, or or attendance. Um, it puts me back into the marketplace. I think a lot of church pastors and leaders are so divorced from the marketplace that a lot of the church members can say, like, well it's easy for you to talk about evangelizing and it's easy for you to talk about discipleship. Um, cause you get paid full time to do all that stuff. I work 40, 50 hours a week. Yeah. I can't do this stuff. Um, or you don't know what it's like in my workplace. You don't know what it's like in my neighborhood. So, well, there you're right. They're absolutely right. So the church leaders need to get back into the marketplace in some way to actually say like, Hey, listen, I'm with you. I'm in the trenches with you. I'm in this world with you to do this. So even if I got someone offered me a full time salary, um, and asked me to quit my job that I, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't quit my, my marketplace job as it were, because I need to be in the marketplace. I need to be alongside everyone else, all the other, uh, missional disciple makers. Um, and then too, uh, also I, you know, I don't do that full-time. So then a lot of the ministry is, is, uh, funded by supporters from outside the ministry that believe in the ministry. Um, and they completely support everything we do. So that way, everything we can't, I do, whether that's ministry in our neighborhood or working with churches with Forge Albany, everything I can do, we can give away for free. Nothing's tied. There's no strings attached. We give it all away for free, um, because we, we want to be a blessing um, and not any sort of barrier or hindrance to others. Mm-hmm.
0: I, love, I love the beautiful language of that, being a blessing to others, because I feel like that that's one thing the church has forgotten how to do. And, and I want to dig in more on this idea. But before we get to that, here's a quick word from our sponsor. Hey there, pastor, clergy, or community leader. Yeah, you. You know who I'm talking to. Is your community feeling scattered? Are you feeling worn out and frayed? Are you wondering what church looks like in 2021 or beyond? Guess what? Faith Street is here to help. Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings congregations together. It strengthens people's commitment to the church and each other. It builds community by promoting prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship, and teaching as daily practices. Faith Street helps you and your staff spend less time with social media and communications and rely less on Facebook and the weekly email newsletter. It's different from apps you may have seen before because people actually use it, and it focuses on substance over style. It's basically the anti-big-box Christian community app. Help your people live life together, rally in prayer, participate more consistently, mature spiritually, and give generously. If you're interested, you can go to faithstreet.com backslash snarky because snarky faith listeners can get 20% off. That's faithstreet, F-A-I-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T.com backslash snarky. Now, now you, you mentioned also like the, the idea of equipping all believers to do what Jesus called them to do. It's, it's risky because it's, it's about giving up control. Yeah, uh, it's about it's about giving that up, and and also, I uh, th- this is one of the main reasons. <laughs> I feel like we've taken a long way to get to a long, a long, uh, a long road to get to this point. But but I, I feel like it all fits in because also when we begin to see the leadership structures and the hierarchies of of most churches, kind of what you've even been talking about on the side, it it separates pastors, it separates people, and 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 it creates divisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I want so I wanted you to have you on to talk about. What does it look like that what does shared leadership, what does like more of a flat leadership model look like what are what are the, what are the positives? Talk me through that
1: Yeah, so a shared leadership model, I mean when we look at um what Jesus was always doing when he was putting together leaders um, when he was sending out his disciples, it was always in twos um, whenever they would appoint elders, it would always be elders, more in plural um so we'd often see this idea of hey we actually lead together not in a in a hierarchical sense i mean jesus was really really clear that he was anti-hierarchy i mean just very anti-hierarchy i mean he he said you know the leaders of the and the rulers of this world lord their power over their people but it shouldn't be like you that shouldn't be the way it is with you you are to be a servant, um, and so, so first of all, we know that leaders should be servants, but also leaders can't lead alone. Um, this idea of solo pastor, a solo leader—you know, kind of this lone figure at the top—it um, it just isn't biblical, and it's not sustainable. Like you had kind of already alluded to, like I mean, Barna just has done a lot of research on pastors, um, and they've you know they've said like. of pastors who enter the ministry will leave, completely leave the ministry, not just go to a different ministry, but completely leave any sort of ministry within five years. And there are over 1,500 pastors a month end up leaving the ministry completely, 1,500 a month pastors. Um, So this idea of like one lone person at the top who's responsible for all the ministry um, has really done a lot of damage to those leaders at the top. But it's also hindered a lot of the ministry of really empowering them to okay. How how do we give away power? I really believe that a a leader, if you are a leader, it's not your job is not to retain power but to give it away, and that's what Jesus would always say. He would. I mean, when he, he commissioned his disciples, he said, "All power and authority has been given to me." So Jesus gets all power and authority, and then what does he say? Now go, and he and he tells his disciples, "Go it with my authority." And go make disciples and he breathes the, his breath on them and so he's giving away his power he's not consolidating it and so when you're a leader and there is you do we do need leaders we absolutely need leaders that are holding together these networks of of, of community missionaries or these holding together these these network of of missional communities or micro churches, we still need um, leadership that's kind of holding things at the center. But anything that's centered at the center is really just to help empower what's happening in the fringes. It's, it's giving away power, it's equipping, and it's training, and it's really saying like the, the actual ministry isn't done at, in the center. Um, the real, the real ministry is happening on the fringes And any leadership or anything that's centralized in the center is really there just to hold together and help and sustain and equip and release power into uh, what's happening. And really also to that that center part as well of leadership still shouldn't be a solo person. It really should be um, uh, in a, a, a like you said, a shared leadership uh, process where um, we've kind of expected our leaders to be. Um, supermen or women, mm-hmm. like like they're supposed to have all the gifts, like they're, they're supposed to have all the talent and you'd have, you know, these people who are like, okay, not only are they supposed to be great preachers, uh, but they're supposed to be great psychologists and counselors. They're also supposed to be great administrators and really good evangelists and funny, and hopefully they can do worship too. <laughs> and, um, and so they have all of these expectations of this one person and no one person has all the gifts. So you need to be surrounded by a plurality of people who are working together and all of their giftings working together saying, okay, how do we hold this, this community, this network of missionaries together and as we're working together, pushing our, everything that we have to the, to the edges. And
0: I think, I think that there there's, there's a beauty in that, in that riskiness. Um, which, which, is, which I think there's also a beauty in the danger of what Jesus did in that when he just said, I'm sending you guys out. So, someone, someone uh, had sent me uh, and said, Oh, you, uh, I, I want to hear what you think about this. There, there was some show on YouTube called, the, I think, The Chosen or Chosen One or something. I, it's, it's some new, like, Jesus y type, you know, where the production value is better. And come on, this time it's good. This time it, it's a good TV show, but Jesus. And, and the one thing, and it wasn't bad, the, the first episode I watched, but I, I told him, I was like, my one weird nitpick is the disciples are all grown up. You know, and I think that that's one thing we lose in the Bible is that like that most of the disciples were just a bunch of like youth group idiots that Jesus is also saying, yeah, you knuckleheads, you guys who probably can't get much right on your own. I trust you enough and I trust that God is with you enough and I'm going to send you out. You know, the idea of that, it seems audacious that you're sending out 16, 17, 18 year olds like in pairs who haven't been through seminary, who haven't had anything. But we realize that God's there with you, too. And 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 I feel like the church has been so much power brokers. We've been so we've been so worried about sending out the wrong people that we just don't send out anybody.
1: Yeah, we are definitely uh, wanting to have clean, polished folks be kind of the the poster people for um, any sort of ministry leading. Mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, I mean, all of the disciples. I mean, look at the early church. They they had so much bad theology. And they they messed up so many times and there was infighting and division and some brokenness that would happen. And it was super, super messy. Um, And you would think, oh, there's got to be a a cleaner, tidier, neater way to do it. No, it's very, very messy. And there was a steep learning curve for everyone and it didn't always go smoothly. Mm -hmm. But at the same exact time, it says there was a movement of power. I mean, it just, it, it was a, it was a movement and when you unreal you release a movement of christ followers yeah it's super messy and it's, you know maybe it gets out of control but we're going to trust god that he is actually ultimately in control mm. he knows what he's doing even if we don't and then we can trust him and we don't need we don't need to be the ones in control god actually is mm. now now okay we're talking about messiness um and and i think that
0: messiness is was one thing that that the it's a key ingredient the church has lost, um, is, is the ability to allow and facilitate messiness. Um, but let's talk a little about the messiness. So, I mean, it, it, as much as it's easy for us to be able to say, oh, well, uh, oftentimes a hierarchy structure, you can get stuff done well mm-hmm. um, in a system. I mean, it's very systematized. And in a flat leadership model, it, it, it's different. So, I mean, what are, some of, what are some of the challenges, but what are also some of the beauty that you've seen being a part of this because at Forge Albany, you have are that four. How many directors do you have? Uh, five. Five. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Says, yeah. So, what, what is some of the beauty and messiness that you've seen in this?
1: Well, it's it can be super frustrating, right? Um, I think a lot of times um, when I've heard people argue whether you have solo high, hierarchical leadership, mm-hmm. um, so many times. I've heard people say, well, like, well, someone's got to make the final decision, right? I mean, you get, someone's got to be at the top mm-hmm. to make the final decision. If you have shared leadership, you always you might get gridlocked. And the reality mm-hmm. is sometimes you do, you absolutely do, because we're, we're basically saying the way we operate in leadership in our leadership team and structure. And I, I think a lot of people should have this as well is amongst the five or six of us as as directors, and I think you could do this also with church leaders as well. Um, no one gets to hold the trump card. No one gets to make the final decision. You really need to work together. Um, and that doesn't mean that some people don't have areas of expertise. It doesn't mean they don't have uh, extra giftings or a certain area that they're working really well in. Um, so so each one and everyone on our board um, of our leadership team all has different areas of responsibilities and they all have different areas of, of giftings that they work really really well in so they kind of really kind of take the ball and run with it there but at any time because we all work together um, we all have equal authority to speak into that person's ministry and speak into that person's life at the same time and when big decisions are made we need to do it together and and again that's hard because different personalities <clears throat> Excuse me. different personalities Different uh, uh, perspectives um, mean we see things different ways, and it takes a while to hash all of that stuff out, and it can be super frustrating, um, but that's what we see in the early church as well. I mean, when they were trying to figure out, do, do we allow Gentiles into the church, and if we do, what do we require of them? it says that it, that 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 debate among the the disciples was so fierce it literally says they almost came to blows um the way that it's written it's almost they almost fought so fiercely with one another but at the same time that wrestling through it all came to this beautiful picture and realization of what God actually wanted from them mm-hmm. and so uh so yeah it's hard it's messy um it's slow sometimes super frustrating but there's a refining process that happens mm-hmm. in that in that one one person's personality or one person's gifting can't steal the show or take the ministry off into uh, one direction um, because they're the one with all the power it really is this checks and balances and this idea of there's a account- a lot of high accountability a lot of perspectives and and I would have if I had been leading this ministry by myself I would have caused a lot of damage if, I, if a lot of other people hadn't been able to speak in and say hey Joel, you're seeing this wrong or you need to, you need to think about it this way, or we need to maybe go in this direction. So, so that's at a central level, what a shared leadership team Mm -hmm. um, can, and I think should look like.
0: But what's interesting, just as what's dawning on me as, as you're even describing this in that way, that, that, that whole goal of wrestling is also what we're called to do with scripture. Um, Right. And and all of that. So I mean, so almost that the idea, what you're even talking about, is the leadership structure should almost echo the structure <laughs> of those that are under leadership as well. That you're all wrestling together. That this is like an ethic. That this is a centrality part of who it is that we are as followers of Christ. That we must wrestle through these difficult things. That this isn't simply about just uh, theology or dogma or just getting in line with this set of beliefs. It also means that you're going to have to own what you believe and wrestle it out. And it's, and, but, but I, but I oftentimes feel like those are the best ways to learn and grow. Yeah. Because a lot of, I guess I know it's cheesy to be able to say like, you know, it's, it's, it's not, it's not the destination. It's the journey, you know, type of a situation, but it really in the kind of the, this instance is, I mean, I feel like that, that so often we've gotten to just, a, the church is like a zero, like it's like a zero sum game that we're very Machiavellian. It doesn't matter how we get there. It just matters that we get there. Like, I don't care yeah. how many people we burn. I was literally told, okay, I was I was at a church planting training, and I will not say which denomination was putting this on, but I literally I remember so it was like it was funny because it happened within the first like uh, mm, 10 minutes of, of a like a, like a weekend uh, training session. But the guy says, so a lot of the people that you have that's going to help you plant a church, we like to refer to them as scaffolding." Because in the end they're not going to be here anymore, and you don't need to worry about them. They're just kind of here to just be here to help you move from this place to this place. And for me, I was so offended by referring to people as just as as disposable, and I was just like this. Like we've like well, this is already antithetical to the gospel already, and we're talking about how to start a church, and you're referring to people as that. Uh, yes. Well, so, and a, a
1: yeah. lot of times when we have the hierarchical top-down leadership, um, the The problem is, is that we allow either our other leaders or lay leaders or the rest of our church really become um, puppets to our own agenda Mm -hmm. to, to, like you said, the scaffolding to our own plan, our own purposes, our own ministries as well. And so um, that's where... when when you have, like you said, you, you're planting a church, really people become a means to an end mm-hmm. um, at, at that point. Um, or if you're starting a ministry, um, you have all the plans and all the goals and all the vision laid out. And then people come along and really just a means to an end to fulfill your own vision and your own mission. And shared leadership means giving that away, giving that up, realizing mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's not your mission. It's not your vision. Yep. You are actually a part of fulfilling God's mission. God's already determined the mission. God's already has, has the mission and vision laid out. It's your job now to wrestle together with others. So how do we live out that mission and vision together? Um, and, and actually then the, the, the mission serves the people, not the people serving the mission. Mm. I think that's huge.
0: I think that's huge. And, um, well, well, okay, uh, well, I'm going to transition into some, a little bit more frivolity here with some, uh, some more pick-Joel's-brain questions. But, but before we move to that, uh, I do want to ask you, so if, if people are resonating with what you're talking about, um, are there books that you would recommend?
1: Yeah, a lot of great books. Um, there's uh, uh, The Forgotten Ways. Mm-hmm. Um, Hirsch is a, is a really great one. Um, uh, Tangible Kingdom by Hugh Halter. Another really great book. Uh, it's real practical. Like, what does it actually look like to be a community missionary? Um, another book uh, by Dan Steigerwald calling it, uh, Growing Local Missionaries by Dan Steigerwald. Another great book as well. Um, so a lot of really, really good ones. You can just hop on the Forge America website and see all. There's a bunch of books that that tribe has written that are uh, kind of real practical. Like, okay, so what does it actually look like to to personally live out the mission of God in my own community or neighborhood. Um, if you're looking for more like, more like leadership, okay, so then what, how would I restructure a church or a ministry, um, or organization to actually scaffold a movement rather than hinder it? Um, there's another new book that just came out, uh, is the starfish and the spirit. Um, that's by Lance Ford and Rob Wagner. And um, really, really great book Um, and just talking about like, okay, you know, a spider and a starfish have, uh, it looks similar at a distance because they all have legs and things like that, but when you have a hierarchy, um, it's more like a spider because if you cut off its head, it completely dies. Um, Or you have to get a new head really, really quick uh, if you're going to make it. But a starfish, actually, you can start, if you tear it into two, um, it has enough of its DNA in each part of the starfish where it can replicate and not die. Mm-hmm. And so it's this idea of like, okay, if we're really going to fulfill God's command of be fruitful and multiply, not just add, but multiply, what does it look like to create some structural organizations that when they divide, they actually grow and thrive rather than mm-hmm. just die. Much like the early church, where whereas we
0: even saw like persecution spread the church like wildfire um, yeah. in, in in the early days. Okay. So, all right, all right. Enough of this good spiritual stuff. So, Joel, all right. Mm-hmm. A couple of just rapid-fire questions for you. So, you were mentioning this, and it, this one just dawned on me, and I'd just be curious as to your opinion. Um, so, we were talking about really just like the call of 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 Christ upon any kind of leadership in in the church is really the call to be a servant. Yeah. And And you're a person who has worked in and around ministry for probably over half your life now, Um, and what percentage of pastors do you think are actually servants?
1: (laughs) Oh man. That's a tough one.
0: Uh, I was going single digits in my head. I'm going to say zero.
1: If we're, if we're, if we're going to be honest with ourselves, uh, no one ever is going to fulfill the mandate of how we're actually supposed to serve like Jesus. I think we're on a spectrum, maybe. But if you're saying how many actually servants, uh, say zero. Okay. Okay. No, no, that's good. I love that. I love it.
0: So, okay. So, um, okay. So we'll go hit this one. Okay. Now, since since you and I, I've known you since you were in your 20s. Um, if you look back on that that young that young Joel back in his 20s, like as he's entering ministry, what advice would you give him with what you know
1: now? Oh man! What advice? Uh, I would say, um, don't worship idols. <laughs> <laughs> and when I say that, I mean the idol of of um, you know. I really, really bought into the 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 notion of you know, big ministry, lead pastor. Um, I, I kind of worshiped at the altar of that. And I kind of wanted people to worship, um, me on that altar. Mm. And so it kind of made a lot of my trajectory about like my identity came from how good of a ministry leader I was, how big my ministry was and all that. And so, um, so really, I think I would tell Joel, uh, Hey, stop worshiping idols and, Worship God. Find your identity in mm. in Him, <laughs> and you will have to spend your whole early mm. life um, running yourself in, around in circles, trying to achieve a dream that you were never meant to fulfill. So, mm. uh, I think that's probably what I tried. And that's and then the young way. Joel would young Joel would have not listened to me at all, and then done it anyway. So, <laughs>
0: well, well, without him doing it, I wouldn't have met you. So uh kudos to young Joel for being bullheaded um yep. and those days um well okay so i'm trying to put this delicately so you when in, in the work that you've done in ministry too and a lot of the work that i do too i feel like it's undoing a lot of bad ministry and a lot of bad theology with people a lot of times um right. and 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 trying to just either reframe the church or help people to see jesus in a new way because of damage that the church has done so um if you could eliminate one christian who would it be and now, now when i say eliminate maybe we'll just put him on a we'll put him on a boat we're gonna put him okay. on like a carnival cruise no wi-fi is is there anyone that you're like man this 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 sov is doing a ton of damage to the faith let's put him on a, a party cruise just yeah napoleon him put him on an island
1: quarantine we don't yeah. Have to eliminate yeah There's no right. There's no right answer. Is there? How big of a boat do I get? Is there a big boat? Sure, it's a big boat. boat. It's a big boat. Yeah, Uh, I'm not going to name names. Okay, but I would definitely say um, any any church leader that is confusing the values of this world with the values of Christ um, needs to stop Mm. talking. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so funny because I hear so many people when they say like, oh, well, you know, we're not supposed to be conformed to the patterns of this world. And I'm like, and, and in their minds, what they're thinking is, you know, smoking, drinking, gambling, watching, you know, not being a good Christian that, that, that you know, well, actually the values of this world are what does what this world value? What do they worship? Well, it's power, mm-hmm. money, <laughs> um, domination, division. <laughs> Uh, uh, tribe identities. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of these things that the world worships and a lot of Christianity has completely aligned themselves with that. Mm-hmm. And, and they're not, they're, they're not the values of the kingdom. And so, um, yeah, I would just say that anyone that, um, uh, starts equating Christianity and nationalism is one and the same i think i think maybe should take the cruise. For take the a cruise. While. Okay.
0: That was that was a, yeah. I, 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 honestly that was a very beautiful and graceful way to delicately dance th- through your way through that one. It was it was yeah, beautiful. Thanks. Okay. So so then and when we're talking about life right now too, what 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 is giving you hope right now?
1: Um oh man. Um honestly, what... <laughs> What gives me a lot of hope is um, that, and this has been something I've been processing, and maybe it's just because I'm getting older, um, where I I think a lot of my identity has always come from uh, what I've achieved or um, what others say about me or what I do, even what I think about myself. Um, And God's really had to take me through a process where he goes, hey, Joel, I love you no matter what like, you don't, your identity doesn't come from what you do or what others say about you. It comes from what I say about you, what I, how I see you. And so that's actually giving me a lot of hope and freedom to kind of go, man, how great is that, that I get to, sh- I get to experience that unconditional love and acceptance. But then the hope is I get to extend that to others as well. Hmm. And so when people ask me all the time, they're like, well, what, what's the, your goal in ministry, like, what are you hoping to achieve? It's like, I just want people to experience God's love the way that I've experienced it as well. That's, that's hopeful. That's easy. That's fun. That's exciting. That's something that, um, uh, you can start seeing movements built on. And Mm -hmm. so I think that, that unleashing of love and acceptance of others and sharing that good news, that's the good news. Mm -hmm. The good news, um, uh, there's this quote, um, this person said that the good news isn't that God hated you and now it doesn't anymore because Jesus died for you. It's the good news is that God has always loved you and the fullest expression of that we see in the cross. Mm. And, and that is hope that's good news. And to be able to share that with others, that's, that's, that's what keeps me going. Mm. Well, that is that is a beautiful place to kind of end
0: this conversation today. So, Joel, if people are how 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 would you recommend people properly stalk you if they're wanting to check out what you're doing at Forge Albany, uh, you personally or anything else? Uh, what what are ways that you'd recommend if people are interested?
1: Yeah, if you want to kind of get involved in the national conversation, if you're not in you know the local Northwest area, um, you know just jump on Forge America. Um, They've got a lot of great, great resources, um, a lot of hubs that might be in someone's area that they can get connected to, or um, a lot of webinars, resources, books that you can just kind of poke around and find all sorts of different stuff to kind of explore, you know, okay, so what is this, what would this look like for me or my ministry or my church? Mm -hmm. Um, If you're in the Northwest area, Oregon area, you can just type in Forge Albany. And uh, yeah, we'd love to just kind of process with you. Um, any ideas or just kind of walk with you in your journey in what it looks like to live out God's mission. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. Thank
0: you so much, Joel, for your time today. And then I, I just, I just want to tell you, man, I appreciate you. I would not be where I am today without you. You know, I love you, brother. And I thank you for, for being on. And this will not hopefully be the last time you were on the show as well, too.
1: Love you, man. Thanks for having me.
0: All right, <laughs> man. So thank you all for being a part of this conversation, this hour, thanks to Joel. And before I send you off, just a reminder to share the show, subscribe, give Snarky Faith a review over on Apple Podcasts. And I just want to continue to thank you guys. Uh, You are all an encouragement to me. I, I appreciate my new friends I've met through this show. I appreciate you for being a part of this week after week. I just really appreciate all of you. You keep me sane and you keep me going. So as I release you out into this wild, wide world, I send you out with the holiest amount of grace and peace and snark. Go out this week and be that beautiful fragrance of the gospel that someone needs. Be that change, be that help, be that encouragement that others need. And I will catch you guys again next week. I'm out of here.
1: Peace.
0: Faith Street is an iOS and Android app that brings congregations and communities together. It strengthens people's commitment to the church. And to each other, it builds community by promoting prayer, mindfulness, generosity, reflection, fellowship, and teaching as daily practices. If you're a leader of a community of faith, Faith Street should be an app that you definitely check out. Snarky Faith listeners receive 20% off. So all you need to do is go to faithstreet.com backslash snarky. That's F-A-I-T-H-S-T-R-E-E-T dot com backslash snarky.